Thank you, Father. Well, I'd like to invite you to turn down your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And in uh, just looking to my heart, checking with the Lord about what I should do this morning, I, I just sense, you know, I know we've been in a series for a number of weeks on the local church, and uh, I, I trust we're going to get right back to that. But this morning, how many of you know it's okay to be led by the Holy Ghost? That's the way we're going to get the best, the best thing. That... Um, that God would have me minister to us today along a different line. And uh, like I said at the opening, I've had the privilege of being out at the Bible school. And uh, they have 32 full-time students there, people ranging from people just outside of high school, you know, on up into their 50s and maybe, maybe even early 60s. Just a wonderful group. And, uh, you know, I taught on what they asked me to minister on, on the subject of Bible prosperity uh, and marriage and family. And uh, I taught the first day primarily on prosperity, but then when I got over into family, there just seemed to be not just a teaching, but a, a, just a week of, of he, the emphasis. I could just tell the emphasis of the Spirit needed to stay right there on that family, in that family area. And, uh, you know, God designed family for us uh, to nourish and fulfillment and fellowship and fruit. You know, but for a lot of us in our family life, there's been large, you know, different degrees and measures of hurt and pain and brokenness. If you know anything about my testimony, you know I come from a broken home. Loving parents, but a broken home. And that's true for a big percentage of our, uh, you know, culture out there. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to rehearse a lot of my personal testimony, I don't think, this morning. But, uh, you know, I had lots of hurt, and I had lots of insecurity, I had lots of traumas, I had, I, I didn't have, you know, the, the head start that that Sarah's had and Elizabeth's had being raised in, a, in an environment like this where the Word is preached and the Word is taught. I didn't have that. I had loving parents, but they were non-Christian parents. I mean, the Bible wasn't a thing in our home. You know, we might have had one on the bookshelf, but, you know, nobody read it. It was just there. And, uh, but, you know, for Faith and, and my son Rex and my daughter Ryan, the things that they have, thank God, they've never seen, they've never... Never known, never heard. But anyway, in my life, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of pain. I, I had a, uh, an abusive uh, stepfather. My mom married on the rebound about a year after my mom and dad split to a very, you know, violent guy and messed up guy. And, and he never hit me or anything, but there's just a lot of, just a lot of stuff that, you know, went on and intimidation, fear. And it, you get all twisted up and warped as a kid. And I certainly did. And then I, I, I did a lot of you know, stuff that I shouldn't have done. Reveling, partying, sinning, being sexually promiscuous, just all kinds of things. Well, I ended up drunk and suicidal at a frat party and uh, in my sophomore year of college. And that's where I really had an encounter with the Lord for the first time. And, uh, you know, I had made a, I had said the sinner's prayer some years before to Baptist youth camp and and had gotten born again, but I went back to a heathen family. You know, I just, I just, maybe my name's written in the, I'm sure it was. Thank God for that. But I wasn't living as a Christian. I certainly wasn't. And so I just kind of spiraled out of control and was, was living, uh, you know, this life and got real broken and, and got down to where I was, had a beer in one hand, a bottle of pills in the other. And I didn't really want to die. I know that. But I just right then, what I was looking for was a reason to live. A lot of people are just breathing in and out. But God wants to give us a reason to live. I didn't really want to die, but why, why am I? I sure didn't want things to stay the way they were. I sure needed a change. 
uh, in my life right then. And thank God, God goes to frat parties. <laughs> thank God, God wasn't moved by my being drunk and out of control. And that he loved me still. And he loved me enough to reach out to me. And I didn't have a vision or anything, but I just heard his voice. And I, I just, he just seemed to extend a hand to me. I did hear him say, son, take my hand. Take my hand. And uh, he said, if you do, uh, he said, I'm not going to deliver you all at once. But if you do, I'll walk you from where you are right now back to where you once were. Now, the, I define that as normal. You know, there was, a, there was a day in all of our lives where we were once normal. You know, human beings are born, you know, mentally, emotionally normal, not broken, not evil, not twisted, not we're not born insecure and depressed, right? People become this way because of the choices they make and the things that happen to them, the traumas that occur. But he said, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you back to where you once were, which is normal. And then this is what really captured me. He said, on into the things that I have for you. Now, when I heard him say that, that, that really captured me because I had never had that thought up until then. Never, I never had that thought. God has something for me, seriously? Me, this pitiful thing? And even on my best day, I'm, I'm, I'm from nothing, I'm, I'm nobody, I'm just an Okie from Muskogee and the flat sticks, just whatever. Just a person. That's it. But God had something for me. He didn't say, I'm going to make a preacher out of you. I probably wouldn't have gone, you know, forget that, you know. I didn't know that he had this for me. I didn't know that he had travel for me. I didn't know that I would go to India with Reverend Kamal, Miss Chelsea, and, and see blind people's, you know, their eyes open and people healed and preach the gospel in jungle villages. I, I didn't know that I would have beef tongue taco in Mexico City at a five star. Woo, Gloria, you know, or go to Israel and, and just and to get to pastor and and to marry who I married and to have the kids that I have and the fellowship that I have. And I just want to tell you today, wherever you are, God has something for you. God has something for you. And it's better than what you imagined. And it's bigger. You're not disqualified from it because you have a past. You're not disqualified from it because things have not been perfect in your life. You're not disqualified from it because you've had a string of years of horrible decision making and, and bad choices. Amen. And so I was ministering along this line to the students and the Spirit of God dealt with me on that last day to minister in a specific way. And I'm going to minister the same way here this morning. If it's all right with you. And the night before they had submitted to me a bunch of questions they wanted me to ask. And they were anonymous, and I was reviewing them. And it just touched my heart. It just touched my heart, the sincerity of their questions. And, and it made me reminded and realize that I'm not the only one who got to adulthood through family, broken and confused and traumatized and, and with a boatload of issues, a lot of which of my own making, right? And uh, so there were a recurring set of questions that were asked me. And questions like, Pastor Chris, how? How did you come out? How did you come out? I didn't have preacher. I didn't have church. Uh, I, didn't have, I didn't have any knowledge of the Word of God. How did I come out, they asked me. How did I forgive my parents? How, how did I 
overcome the, the traumas that I had related and experienced, you know. And, uh, you know, what, what were some of the keys? And so I, I have a little list here that I just tell you about if you're interested. Amen. Maybe you've got some things to come out of. You know, the dominant gift in my life in ministry is teaching. You probably know that. And I love that gift. And teaching has a high place in the plan of God. The Bible says about Jesus in his earthly ministry in Matthew 9 that he went about the cities and the villages teaching. Teaching in their synagogues. Preaching in their villages. Healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. So even in Jesus, the dominant gift flowing through Jesus in his earthly life was teaching. And, you know, for you to have a victorious life in every area where you want to talk about your marriage, your family, uh, finances, to live in health, to live free from COVID-19 and be, you know, whatever else is coming down the pike, right? To, to get the fullness out of what God has, there's a lot you need to know. Teaching is an important thing. But I have found this out. Uh, God can't, I can't teach you into complete victory by, by, by teaching alone. Some things I will not be able to teach out of you. Some things will have to be worked in us by a work of the Spirit. By work of the Spirit. God will have to do a work on our insides by the Holy Ghost. That there may be some people here today that could be helped and could get blessed. Amen. Not just through teaching, but through a work of the Spirit. Amen. In our lives. You don't have to turn there again. Where do I have you out? You're in Acts 20, right? I'm going to get there. Let's go ahead and read it before I make that comment. In Acts chapter 20, verse uh, number um, 16, Paul is back at Ephesus, uh, a place that he loved. Uh, a church was raised up there that he was instrumental in raising up. Timothy was now pastoring it. Uh, the great aged apostle John was a member of that church. About 98 years old. Can you imagine preaching, you know, Timothy 15, 16, preaching to the Apostle John. And then right next to the Apostle John was Mother Mary. Because Jesus on the cross entrusted the care of His mother to John. You read the last sayings of Jesus, you'll find that out. Uh, amen. And uh, so it's a great church. It was a huge church. Uh, some say 50, 60,000 member church. And so here in this moment, Paul knows, as we'll see, that uh, this will be his last face-to-face with him. He will not, the will of God will not bring him back by their way, not in this life. And in verse 16, Paul says, For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus, because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, he was in a hurry, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders or the pastors of the church there. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears. You see, they saw what Paul went through. They saw his tears, his dedication, the things he went through, the things that befell me uh, by the lying in the weight of the Jews. And here's why I brought you here. Look at verse 20. And how I kept back nothing. How I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. But I have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. And uh, look at verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. It goes on and says, uh, you all will see my face no more. And I like this uh, phrase in verse 20 uh, where it says, uh, Paul held nothing back. Amen? 
Uh, you know, when you get to be, if you're ever, you know, get to, if you're called to be a minister, remember that. Uh, hold nothing back. If something could be ministered or something could be said that would bless the people, that would help the people, that would further the people, that we should not hold it back. Amen? Paul's one of my heroes. And so my intention today is to hold nothing back from you. Amen? That would bless you and help you. So let's talk about some turning points and defining moments in my life. Number one, uh, such a key uh, when they asked me, how, Pastor, have you come out? How did you get to where you are today? You know, because I, I, I described in vivid detail, you know, where I had come from and what God brought me out of. Number one is what I would say is I have had from that frat party moment a real personal relationship with Jesus. You know, when God extended me a hand and I, I accepted His invitation, let, let me tell you, let me remind you what I was not signing up for. I did not say yes to practice a religion. I, I, religion was the, you know what, I, I didn't in my mind having a prayer, you know, having an experience with God, drunken suicidal at a frat party say, you know what, I'm going to leave here and be religious. I'm going to leave here and go practice a creed. I, I'm going to leave here and, and join a, a, a denomination. Now, I'm not against denomination, but I'm just saying that's not what I said yes to. That's not what I responded to. What I responded to was God Almighty extending me a hand of fellowship, extending me an invitation to a lifelong relationship where He and I would go places together. Amen. And it is such a missing ingredient in people's lives. So many have been lulled into the dry, lifeless practice of the Christian religion. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a walk with God. It is a relationship with God. No, God the Father, God the Son, through the, through the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And from that moment, messed up sure enough. Problems sure enough. You know, mind all bent and twisted. Sure. But I had God by the hand from that moment. Amen. And I just want to tell you, you just need to, whatever your condition, whatever you have gone through, whatever has come into your life, whatever has been, just make sure by the hand. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. He became my shepherd that night. Amen. You know, the Bible says in, in Psalm 23, 1, that the Lord is... Right? The Lord is my shepherd. Then what he said, I shall not lack. I shall not want. And God will lead you uh, out of a place of need and want over into a place of peace and tranquility and blessing and provision. Amen? You know, a lot of people, they're seeking laws, principles, levers, buttons, formulas for victory. But that's not what I signed up for. And that's not been... That's not what's been the key to my success in walking with God. It is just having conversations with God. And just responding to those little conversations. So when God began to deal with me about my music collection, we had a, we had a conversation about that. And God began to have a conversation with me about movies that I was watching. And we, you know, just the world celebrated All Hallows Eve last night. Well, I used to do that too. I, that's just what I thought. And then, but... God began to deal with me about stuff like that. 
God began to deal with me about my mouth and not cussing. God began to deal with me about not smoking cigarettes. God began to deal with me about moving home with my mommy and leaving all my party buddies in college. And see, so what's caused me to come out has been I've just had an ongoing conversation with God and I know He's out for my good. He's wanted to take me somewhere and I'm down that road a little ways now. Amen? And, And so do you have these just kind of conversations with God? So I'm going to move on, but that's just a huge thing is your walk with God, your relationship with God. Amen? Number two is, and I want to have you go here to Proverbs 10. How many of you know what a rhema is? I actually mentioned it and taught a little bit about it in uh, the recent series we did on the armor of God. We're going to Proverbs 10. Y'all are kind of quiet this morning. doesn't have to be somber. It's not just so. I'm just going to, you're going to get some help this morning. That's why you came, right? Get some help. That's why I came. I came to be a help and give you some help with God's help. Well, a rhema is a, a word from God that's in the Bible, but it's spirit-inspired. A rhema is a word that the Holy Spirit quickens to you, speaks to you, makes alive to you. Yeah. Well, I, I'm a little fuzzy on the timeline, but you know... The first instruction I believe that I got from God uh, after that frat party that I have any recollection about was that instruction, move home. Move home. And uh, so I, I went through that and did all that. And, um, but then the, the next one, the next big turning point moment for me is this quickened word about Proverbs 10, 7. Now, I had had a relationship with someone I dated in, in high school. And I just became very entwined with, with her in, just in my mind emotionally. I was just very emotionally invested in that relationship, okay? And uh, right after our high school graduation, she dropped me like a bad habit, <laughs> you know? And with all the other things that had happened in my life, I was very sensitive to rejection. It's very sensitive. That was just about, I'd rather be beaten with rods on the bottom of my feet than be rejected. Okay. And so it was kind of a final straw that sent me on a spiral that led me to be drunk and suicidal at frat party. La, la, la. I know that's a sad story, but I'm just telling you, that's where I was. And so I would spend my mom, if she was still on the earth, she would tell you that for days and days at a time, I would spend, I was home now, but I would spend time in my room grieving and crying with the, in the dark. And my mom, she didn't know what to do to help me. She just couldn't help me. She offered me Prozac. She offered me a psychologist. But I would just sit in that room and I would cry, lamenting the loss of that relationship. Y'all say amen or something? Try to help me? Okay, praise God. <laughs> and so that's, that's what I did. That's, I, just didn't, I just thought life is over. Life is terrible. You know, just I'm never going to. And so I'm, I'm not functioning. I'm not doing well. And God quickened me. There was a day came where he said, Chris. I said, yes. He said, I want you to look up Proverbs 10, 7, read it and believe it. Believe for me to do it. Believe for me to do it in your life. I had no idea. Proverbs, what's Proverbs? Uh, You know, maybe I heard Proverbs. I'm sure I did. Uh, But where is it? What is Proverbs 10, 7? I had no idea. Amen. Amen. What does Proverbs 10, 7 say? The first phrase, what does it say? It says the memory of the just is blessed. The memory of the just is blessed. Now, Mike take tests, right? Because they study the material and they go, Father, my memory's blessed and I thank you for perfect recall. And that's a good way to use that scripture. 
But that was not my introduction to that scripture. My mind was just totally obsessed and bound and tormented because every waking moment I was just thinking about, oh, woe is me. Amen. And so I read that scripture, the memory of the justice blessing. God spoke to me again. He said, I forbid you to think her name. Now you might as well have told a five-year cocaine addict to go cold turkey. And I had a fight on my hands. But God said, read that scripture and believe me to do it in your life. Now for me to go 60 seconds and not think this girl's name, I had to sweat to do that. I had to fight for that. For the mental space. Maybe you've had some traumatic event. Maybe you've had some life disappointment. That's just, you've allowed to just totally dominate your headspace. You cannot have victory letting painful thoughts, wrong thoughts. Listen, if you're a veteran, I'm telling you, you do not have to have PTSD. You do not have to live uh, in torment by the images that you saw, right? The things that you did, the things that happened. You could be totally free without drugs, without any of that. Just believe God to do for you in your life what He's done for me in my life. It's just such a turning point. He blessed my memory. So days went by and I, I remember vividly thinking, 15 minutes has gone by and I have not thought her name. And then I just, man, it was a fight. I fought, I fought, I fought, I fought. And uh, I remember, I'll just fast forward some, you know, two weeks, two weeks and you wake up and you stop and go, you know what? The sky's actually blue and the grass is green, right? And all while this is going on, I'm trying to function. I'm trying to go to class. Somewhere in there, I've, I've, I've t- taken notice of Amber in my college chemistry class. Amen. Now, a period of about six months goes by. We've actually met. I think we've had two or three dates at this moment, I'm about to tell you. So about six months has gone by, and, and I am improved helping. But I, it's been a fight. It's been a fight. Well, I had moved home. I get this knock on the door. I'm, I'm in the bathroom getting ready for a date with her, third or fourth date, something like that. Still very brand new to that relationship. And I get a knock on the door, and I go because no one else is home, and I go, and lo and behold, it's this girl's mother. It's this girl's mom. Now, because the families were real tight. Now, they thought I was living with a bunch of college boys. So she thought, just coming to visit Carol, my mom. But they were there on assignment. This girl was in the car. And they were there with the assignment. Their mission that day was to tell my mom that she had gotten engaged to be married. Right? And so there's nobody there. And to, to her shock and amazement, I come to the door. Hello. And said, so, well, what's up, what's up? And, and then she kind of hem-hawed around, and then she mentioned her daughter and it was in the car. And I went, she's here? She goes, yeah, she's in the car. In the car? And she told me that she'd gotten engaged. And here's what I found myself doing. I found myself walking over to the car. I, I opened the door. I reached in. I pulled her out. I looked at her ring. I grabbed her up real big and hugged her and congratulated her, put her back in the car and sent her on her way. Now, hold on, hold on. I had about a 50, 50 foot, 70 foot door, big heavy door in my, my house there. And I closed that door behind me and I stood in that little breezeway, y'all. 
And I said this to myself out loud. I'm over it. I'm over it. And I went and got jailed up, went on a date. And there's my harvest right there. My 100 fold. But here's, here's the thing about that verse. I had my part to play. But, and again, I'm not going to rehearse all the traumatic things that I, I could think about that would bring me pain. But here's, in a, in a process of time, God's spirit and God's power, He did exactly what He said He would do. He blessed my memory. Now, what, what happened to me? He, God did not wipe my memory, Brother Larry. He did not wipe my memory. What he did was he removed the sting and the hurt and the pain associated with every traumatic thing that had ever happened to me in my life. Psychologists will tell you sometimes people repress mentally. They don't know how to cope with things. So their mind will just bury that traumatic thought deep in the recesses of their subconscious. And I'm not a therapist and I don't, you know, you don't need to go sit on somebody's couch, you know, and... And, you know, try to heal your inner child. I'm not, I'm not into that. But I'm saying God, God reached in. And he removed all the hurt and all the pain and all the sting of every single traumatic event. The abuse, the sin, the guilt, the shame, the hurt, all of it. I could stand up here and spend the afternoon telling you everything I did, everything that happened, everything, and go home and not have to have Reverend Marilyn lay hands on me. No, I, won't have to have, I won't have to go see Dr. Jacobs for three weeks for counseling. Now, why doesn't God wipe our memory? He wants to preserve my testimony. He want, if you're going to go through it, you might as well have the testimony of how God brought you out and how God is a good God and how God can turn a life around and how God can redeem your life and make something good out of But a testimony has to be told. And God doesn't want you traumatized every time you stand up to tell your testimony. So He will cleanse your memory. He will bless your memory. And He did that for me. And it was a key to coming out. The third thing that is key that I, I'll tell you, I told them, is put your faith in the blood of Jesus. So many, some of the questions I got were, you know, that people, God, they're, they're in Bible school, their lives are on track now, but they carry around a sense of guilt or shame or uncleanness about the past. And if you, don't, if you don't let God minister to you, you could carry that brokenness, you could carry that uncleanness with you the rest of your life. Amen. Guys and girls, they could get sexually promiscuous or abuse happen in their life and never feel clean, not, not ever feel clean ever again. But that's not God's will. I don't carry around. I'm not proud of what I did back then. Not, I'm not, if on the occasion, I'm not happy to, to have to tell you that that was part of what I experienced and what they did and what I did and the hurt I caused. But I could tell it, tell it, not have a, not a sense of guilt. I don't have, I don't have a sense of guilt. I, I don't have any guilt in me. I don't, I don't carry any shame with me on the inside. None. 
Because that's the power of the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that though our sins be as scarlet, blood-stained garment, right? Yet they shall be, those garments shall be white as snow. White as snow. The blood of Jesus Christ. We need to go back in the, if anybody's listening to me. You know, we've gotten away from the blood. We don't think, oh, modern church, you can't sing songs about it. Ooh, that's bloody. No, it was bloody that day. Blood was the cost. But there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem your mind, cleanse your soul, give you a brand new start. We overcome the devil and all that he has done by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of our testimony. Amen. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. The fourth thing that I would say is, I took responsibility. I, 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 you know, people say, you know, how did you forgive your parents? I didn't blame them. They were not saved. Right? They did not know God. They did the best they could, but they were broken people. Amen. And I'll just tell you, forgiveness has always come easy for me. It's always come easy for me. Why? Because I've had much to be forgiven of. Much. You know, Jesus asked Peter a question one time. He said, uh, uh, Peter, there's two guys. One guy was forgiven of much. The other guy was forgiven of little. Which do you suppose will love me more? Peter said, well, I suppose the one that was forgiven much. And Jesus goes, you're right on. You're right on. Amen. Amen. Forgiveness has always come easy for me because I know what I deserve. I know where I deserve to go. I know how undeserving I am of good things. Amen. But I took responsibility. But in that, you know, I... I forgave myself. You're going to have to forgive yourself. You made a wrong decision. You're going to have to forgive yourself. And who am I to withhold forgiveness from someone else in the light of all that God's done for me? You're having trouble forgiving somebody. You need to, you need to go back maybe and just think a little bit about what God's forgiven you of. And if you're that person, and I'm glad about it, that maybe you have little to forgive. You've lived a really good life and you have little to be forgiven of. Just remember what James said. If any man offends in one little point, he's guilty of the whole thing. You self-righteous thing, you. Amen. He that offends and breaks God's law in one fine point, he is guilty in the mind of God. A man will damn the soul for all eternity without redemption, without salvation, without the blood of Jesus. Amen. So I'll tell them when I told you, forgiveness is not a feeling. And people, they've been lied to by the devil in their own wrong thinking to think, well, I haven't really forgiven until I feel like. Some, one of them asked me, do I have to be friends and have fellowship? No, 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 a thousand times no. Amen. I want to be a good pastor for everybody in here, but I don't want to be friends with all of you. And you probably wouldn't want to be friends with me. You wouldn't like me. You wouldn't like my personality. Oh, you're not going to say anything? Nobody's amen in then. 
Well, we'll just leave that alone, right? But we don't have to have, we don't, not everybody has to be your friend. We're commanded to love everybody. Well, I'm not commanded to be friends with anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? So forgiveness is a choice. You take your will, you make a decision, and you let God hear it. Father, I forgive that person. I forgive them for what they did. That doesn't validate it. That doesn't make it right. I told those students, if someone killed my, killed, you know, killed uh, some, you know, took a life in my family, something like that. I'll forgive you. I have to give you. But I'm going to encourage the prosecutor to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. Well, that's not forgiveness. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. God sanctions it. There's consequences for our actions. I wouldn't feel bad. Now, I forgive you all the way to your life sentence, brother. People get, they, they want to mix their emotions in with this stuff. No, wrong is wrong and it will always be wrong. Forgiveness is for you, it's not for them. Amen. i got to move on here, but listen, unforgiveness will take you to hell. Well, I love Jesus. If you choose to hold on to unforgiveness, you can't be saved. Mark eleven twenty five. 25. When you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any person. Because if you don't, he said, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. My question to you is, can you go to heaven with unforgiven sin? You want to roll that dice? You want to, you want to, you want to bet your eternity on that? That you will be admitted into heaven with unforgiven sin? The only way to have your sins forgiven is for you to forgive yourself and the other one of their trespasses. You better forgive that ex-husband. You better forgive that ex-boyfriend. You better forgive, forgive, forgive. The guy that stole $10,000 from me and tore up my rent house, I forgive you, brother. If I ever have a chance to get my money back, I'm going to get it, but I forgive you. I'm not going to hold on and harbor ill will. I will get my money. If, <laughs> I will. Amen? All right. Praise God. Y'all okay? Just, just got this nugget left here and, and we're going to minister to people and we're going to get help and go home. Amen? The next thing that I told the students I want to tell you that led to my coming out is that as the Spirit directed me, I sought and received deliverance. Let's go to one more verse this morning. Let's go to, well, I think one more verse. Let's go to um, Luke 4. I think we can, with this verse, it would encompass everything that we need to, to say. Amen? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in his childhood synagogue. He's an adult. He's been baptized by the Holy Ghost. And he stands up, and in verse 18, he makes this declaration. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Now remember the anointing according to Isaiah 10.27 removes burdens and destroys yokes. That's what the anointing does. So see, I can't teach some burdens off of you. Some I can, 
But some things, right, it will require a different kind of anointing to fix Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, but thank God there is that anointing. The Spirit of God is upon me, Jesus said, because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. See, there's an anointing to break the yoke of poverty off people. I write about that in my book. He hath sent me, in this precious, to heal the brokenhearted. And I was that man. To heal the brokenhearted. Now notice the next one. To preach deliverance to the captives. Recovering of sight to them who are blind, to set at liberty them who are bruised. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I I haven't done the math, but in terms of percentage, it's over 50% of the anointing types that Jesus described in that verse are about fixing your insides. Did you get that? He's anointed to do what? Bind up the brokenhearted. Number two, bring Liberty to the captive. Amen. What was the other one? To set at liberty to bring freedom to the one who's been bruised. Hello? So I'll tell you one more story here to close it out. You know, you fast forward in time. This was all the way back in the 90s in my college years where a lot of this began to, to happen in my life. But uh, this uh, 20, 2012, early 2012, so by that time, uh, I have been filled with the Holy Ghost. I have learned a whole lot of word. I have been to a lot of seminars. Uh, I have been hired on into my local church. I have graduated into the office of the pastor. I have been a pastor from 2001 to 2012. My marriage at this moment, the, my marriage was right. I wasn't looking at porn, still not today. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm in the will of God. My prayer life's in place. My word life's in place. My children are right. They love me. I love them. I mean, things are right. I'm in the will of God best I know how. Amen. And God speaks to me. Remember what this point is? When the Spirit led me, I sought and received deliverance. Freedom. Well, Dr. Dufresne, my spiritual father, he had prophesied to me as a prophet. He'd said, when you move in your building, when you move in your building, the Spirit of God said through him, you'll enter into the third phase of the pastoral ministry that I, Jesus, have for you. So I knew that. We were getting closer. We moved in this building in October 2012. Well, I go, praise God. Okay, so I know that's, that's coming. I'm coming into a new phase of my pastoral ministry. Well, I'm fellowshipping with God one day, and God breaks in on me and says, Son, I said, yes, you can't take this thing, that's what he called it, this thing with you into this new phase of ministry. Why did he call it that? I don't know. That's how I called it. You ever had something just wrong on the inside and you really couldn't even identify what it was? Something dogging your tracks? Something holding you back? God called it this thing. I said, well, okay. What do you want me to do about it? He said, I want you to call Dr. Jacobs on the telephone, schedule a time, ask if you can drive out there and have lunch with him and tell him what you're dealing with. Now, you think I wanted to do that? Oh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. He had had me speak in his church. 
he's just so, now he's, you know, after Dr. Dufresne, you know, went, went to heaven, he's now speaking into my life as a spiritual father. I hold him in high regard, obviously. You think I wanted to sit down on his office couch and tell him I had a thing? Well, no, I didn't. Here's the thing. Do you really want to be free? Do you really want to be free? Jesus asked the guy at the pool of Siloam. He'd been in that condition 30. And the first question Jesus asked him is, do you really want to be free? Do you really want to get well? Are you earnest about getting well? Earnest means serious and sincere. Are you? Some people, they give lip service, but if it means coming up into a line to be prayed for, no, no, no. Do you really want to be free? So this is just such a key. So I made the appointment. I drove the three and a half hours. We had lunch. I went to his office, sat down. And this is what I told him. I said, I told him just what I told you. I said, Doc, I I said, Dr. Jacobs, I just want to assure you, my prayer life's in place. I'm in the will of God. I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not watching pornography. I'm I'm in the will of God. My prayer life's in place. My word life's in place. Everything I know of. But here's how I feel on the inside. I feel like a car outside of alignment, out of alignment. You ever drove a car that the wheels, front wheels were out of alignment? Can you keep that thing on the road? Of course you can. You can keep it on the road. You can keep it in the lane. But what are you going to have to do to keep it in the lane? Struggle. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to compensate for that bent, that thing inside that's wrong. It's not aligned right. And I said, I said everything I just told you is true. It's, I wouldn't lie to you. I'm right here in the will of God doing good. But that's what I feel like. And I feel like if I let go of the wheel of my life, that I'm going to careen off into the ditch. And then with tears, I said, Doctor, all I know to tell you is that on the inside of me, it seems like there ought to be measures of peace and joy and contentment that other people seem to have. And it seems like there ought to be a measure of that joy, peace, and contentment on the inside of me that I ought to be enjoying, and I'm not. I'm not. Now I said, I guess what I need you to tell me, sir, is that just what spiritual warfare looks like? Because if that's just what the walk of faith is, making yourself stay right? Amen? Y'all listening? If that's what faith and spiritual warfare looks like, I'm happy to keep soldiering on. But if I'm right, if I'm right, then I need help. I don't know what to do. Well, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're like the duck on the pond. That on the surface, you're just peaceful and calm, but under the water, a little, little. And I, I'm just churned up, wrought up on the inside. He goes, can I ask you some questions? Of course, he stands in the office of the prophet too. I said, sure, that's why I'm here. Shoot. He said, and he asked me two very, well, he said, you ever, your parents ever been divorced? That was the, maybe a divorce didn't affect you like it affected me, but I'm telling you, I broke on the inside when my parents got divorced. So he nailed it, that first question. And then he asked me another question of very personal nature, and he just nailed it. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. And he said, well, see, Satan's taking a place in your soul and you're going to have to take it place. Take it back. And I went, maybe you're thinking the same thing. I said, now, wait a minute. Hold on, doctor. I said, that was all the way back in the 90s. I said, I repented. That's all under the blood, right? That's just all part of my past. I'm born again. I'm spirit-filled. 
He goes, yes, in your spirit, you're a-okay, you're perfecto, but Satan can take a place in your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions that you have to take back. He said, could I pray for you? I said, that's why I came. He just put his hand on my head and he said, come out. Prayed a nice soul. I don't know how he ended it. That's about the essence of what he prayed. Took his hand. I didn't vomit up anything. Didn't have some big, massive, emotional thing. Right? I said, thank you. Hugged his neck, shook his hand, got in the car, headed the three and a half hours back. But as God is my witness, I went home that night and laid down on my bed and I slept like I hadn't slept in 14 years. And I've never been the same. I've been the same. I am, uh, since 2012, I have been just as calm and contented and peaceful and joyful on the inside as I made myself be and appear on the outside. Would you stand up today? What's dog in your tracks, sweetheart? Is there help for you, not just in a teaching, but this morning? And could I have my wife come to the keyboard? There's an anointing. I'm not Jesus, but I know Him. (laughs) I'm not Jesus, but I serve Him. I'm not Jesus, but I'm a man of God working for Him. And that same anointing that Jesus declared was on Him is on His body today. And there's an anointing here today to bind up your broken heart, to mend you of that inward bruise, and to set you free where you felt captive. It doesn't mean that you have ever even done anything wrong. But if there's been trauma, there's been hurt, if there's just something on the inside of you that has dogged your tracks, held you back, been a hindrance, then I want to invite you to make your way to the front.